to us, God. And uh, it's one thing to to understand something. It's a it's another thing to be challenged to to walk out what we understand, God. And I pray as we dive into this text that you would do just that, that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding and give us the motivation, compelled by your love, to, to walk out the things that, uh, that you're teaching us, not just in this service, but in life in general. Lord, there's so much that, that you try to get across to us. I pray that those things would get across and, and um, we would walk in uh, whatever challenges that you have for us in our lives and a way to apply those things. Lord, so... Please bless this time. I pray your spirit would just teach all of us in your name. Amen. Do you find it hard to be obedient to your boss? How many people have bosses in here? Okay. Do you find it hard to be obedient? Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you like your boss. And probably, likely, you're pretty good with being obedient when you understand why they're telling you what you're doing. But what happens when your boss tells you to do something that you don't agree with and that you don't understand? Does that then become difficult for you to walk in obedience? Is your obedience contingent upon your understanding? See, when it comes to the Lord, he often asks us to walk by faith regardless of our understanding. His heart is that we would be obedient by faith even when we don't understand. Which brings me to the title of this teaching. Obey in faith regardless of understanding. Obey in faith regardless of understanding. If you guys remember, last week, Jesus was really hitting home and focusing on this idea of faith. It came up when he had this encounter with this man whose son was severely demon-possessed. And the man, he brings his son to the disciples to cast out this demon, and what happens? They can't do it. So then this man perseveres, brings his son to Jesus, and Jesus first addresses why they couldn't cast out the demon. Calls them a faithless and perverse generation. The reason they weren't able to overcome this obstacle is because they didn't have the faith to do it. And he focused on the fact that this was a faith issue. And we focused on the fact that we need faith to overcome the obstacles that God places in our life. And then he ended that section and he talked about how this kind, speaking of the demon, doesn't come come out uh, except by much prayer and fasting. He starts to describe what faith looks like and what kind of faith he's talking about. Now, in this section, Jesus is going to have an encounter with Peter, and he's still going to focus on this topic, this idea of faith. And by the end, he's going to ask Peter to obey him, even though in the moment he doesn't completely understand what the Lord's doing and why he's asked him to do what. He's doing. If you look at Matthew chapter 17, uh, let's read the story real quick. So you have the big picture and then we'll break it down. Matthew chapter 17, read in 24 to 27. When they had come to Capernaum, 
those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Very interesting text, finding money and fishes and all these different things. But there's so much depth to this and what Jesus is trying to teach Peter specifically, but us generally. So let's break it down. Look at back, look back at verse 24. Look where they are. It says, when they had come to Capernaum. Now, if you remember Capernaum in the past teachings we see throughout the Gospels, this is where Jesus really set up shop, meaning he did most of his ministry in the city of Capernaum. This is also believed to be where Peter, Andrew, James, and John had their fishing business set up. So they know the people around here which will make more sense and why I'm bringing that up when we get later into the passage. But look at what's happening here in Capernaum. Those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? So the temple tax was a tax. It was a half shekel that was supposed to be given to the temple to, for, for upkeep and things like that. It's different than tithing. But they get, get this principle from Exodus chapter 30 when God asked Moses to receive this temple tax to build the tabernacle. Okay, if you look at Exodus chapter 30, to help us understand. Verse 11, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among them, when you number them. This is what everyone among you are, among those who are numbered shall give, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 garrets. The half shekel should be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting that it may be a, be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. So we see God, when he gave specific instructions to Moses as uh, in regards to building the tabernacle, he said, hey, this is one of the things that I want you to do. Every man over the age of 20 has to pay a half shekel, whether he's rich or whether he's poor. And this was to help with the upkeep of the temple. Now, the problem in Matthew chapter 17 is that that was then. That was the tabernacle. And the tabernacle has already been built. Now what do they have? In place of the tabernacle, they have the temple. 
right? Obviously, that's why it's called the temple tax. But there was lots of controversy over this temple tax. Many believe that the same idea pertained to that day, meaning the men over 20 still had to bring a half a shekel to the temple every year. And they would do this around the time of Passover. The temple was obviously in Jerusalem and they're in Capernaum. So why do you have these tax collectors in Capernaum? Well, about a month before Passover, you would have like these different booths, these different offices, if you will, set up to collect the temple tax so that those who couldn't make it to Passover, though it was mandatory for all men to make it to the three feasts, they could pay their tax early and they didn't have to worry about paying it next time they went to the temple. So it was these tax collectors for the temple tax that has this, that these are the men that have this specific conversation with Jesus. Now, again, the temple tax was controversial. See, some different groups believe that you didn't have to pay the temple tax. For example, the Sadducees didn't believe you should pay the temple tax. That was for then. This is a different era. This is a different time frame. Uh, the Qumran sect, which is a bunch of uh, scribes, uh, they believe that you should only pay the temple tax once a lifetime. And you wouldn't have to pay it every year, just one time in your life, and you never had to pay the temple tax. Again, this is different than tithing. Okay, they're already tithing. So they're like, why am I tithing and paying the temple tax? I'm already tithing. Tithing was something that was supposed to be continued. This is a temple tax. This was for something that was specific to that time period. So there's lots of controversy around this temple tax. That's why these tax collectors are asking Peter, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Now, recognized rabbis in that culture weren't obligated to pay the temple tax. So as a teacher, Jesus technically isn't obligated to pay the temple tax. They're serving in the synagogues. They're doing these things. They're helping teach people the word of God so they don't have to pay. Now these tax collectors are saying, does your teacher pay the temple tax? What are they saying? Well, they're really saying we don't recognize Jesus as a rabbi. He's not our teacher. He's your teacher. So it is your teacher, not the recognized rabbi. Your teacher, does he pay the temple tax? It was a low blow against Jesus. And look what Peter says in verse 25. He said, yes. He just right off the bat says, yes. We don't know why Peter said yes. It could have been he was just on the spot. He was pressured. He didn't want to get Jesus and the other disciples in trouble. And say, okay, yes, yeah, yeah, we pay it. Or maybe he saw Jesus pay the temple tax in the past. We don't know. But right off the bat, Peter responds with yes. And that's typically how Peter rolls. He says the first thing that pops into his head and he just goes with it. Now, then after he says yes, look what happens. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? Look what Jesus does. He asks Peter, it says he anticipated, he knew what he was going to talk about. He knew he was going to bring up this topic. And before he even says anything, Jesus anticipates what he's going to say, what he's thinking. And he says, what do you think, Simon? 
Why is Jesus asking him a question? Does Jesus not know if he should pay the temple tax or not? No, of course. Jesus knows. Jesus knows all things. He knows everything about the temple tax. He, him and his father instituted the tabernacle and temple tax. But he's asking Simon a question for a specific reason. He's asking Simon the question to bring him to a deeper level of understanding. And that's why Jesus so often asks questions in the Gospels and even in our lives to take us to a deeper level of understanding. First of three points, Jesus asks questions to bring us to understanding. Jesus asks questions to bring us to understanding. Uh, I can imagine being a scribe or a Pharisee. So often when they ask Jesus questions, he answers them with a question. Probably a little frustrating, but there's more to it than that. He's not just trying to frustrate them. He's trying to help them think and process and understand deeper truths. Now, this method is referred to as the Socratic method. Socrates uh, was the first one uh, to, to really do uh, this, operate in this um this method of asking people questions to bring them to deeper truths. Now we have to remember there's a huge Greek influence in Israel at this time. So this was a common thing for people to ask other people questions, even answer questions with questions to take people to a deeper place of understanding. We call it the Socratic method, but we know Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author and finisher of all understanding. So we know this concept really came from, from Jesus. Nevertheless, he's asking Simon Peter this question again to bring him to a deeper level of understanding. So often the Lord will do that with us. Why? Well, he wants us to understand. Why does he want us to understand? He gives us the answer in Matthew chapter 15. A few pages back, depending on your Bible. Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 23. Speaking of the parable of the sower, he says, But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, listen, every person in this parable, every group of people in the four different soils of this parable, they all heard the word of God. Okay, but the difference is the last group that he talks about are those who hear the word of God and it falls on good soil, meaning a heart that's prepared for the word of God. And he says this again, he who hears the word of God and understands it, who indeed bears fruit. Jesus wants us to understand. He wants to take us to a deeper level of understanding so that we might bear fruit. See, faith comes by hearing, but fruit comes by understanding. What do I mean? Well, we can't apply things that we don't understand. We can hear the word of God and the word of God, there's a promise in scripture that it doesn't return void. It will accomplish what it was set out to accomplish. But how often do you hear the word of God and not understand it? It happens sometimes, right? You'll read a passage, you'll hear a message, and you're like, ah, I don't really get that. If we don't understand it, we're not going to apply it because we can't wrap our minds around it. So Jesus, he tries to give us understanding so that we might apply the things that he's communicating to us so that we might 
bear fruit. Those who hear and understand bear fruit. So he's asking Peter to, he's asking him this question to bring him to a deeper level of understanding so that he can apply it later on, so that he can actually bear fruit. Verse 25, Matthew chapter 17. And look what he says. He gives them an illustration. From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, from strangers. Okay, now look at what Jesus is saying here. Okay, who do the kings of the earth take taxes from? Meaning if you have a king and you have princes or or princesses, are you going to tax your children? You guys ever tax your children? Any of you make your children pay taxes? in a way. (laughs) No, it would be like this kind of, okay. Say you own your home. Okay. And your child is living in your home and you make them pay you taxes just to make a profit off of them, just to get something out of them. That'd be kind of messed up, right? That's the concept here. Kings don't make their sons pay taxes. They make the strangers pay taxes and the sons actually benefit from the taxes. So Jesus gives this very logical explanation to help him understand the temple tax. When he says sons of the kingdom, what is he referring to? Well, Jesus is the son of the kingdom, right? He is the son of God. And John chapter one, amongst other scriptures, tell, tell us that if we believe in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us, we too will be called children of God. So he's taking this to a much deeper level as we see him develop this thought. Look at verse um, 26. Peter said to him from strangers. So Peter gets where he's going from this. Kings don't take their kids money. They take it from strangers. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Obviously, okay. Then the sons are free from paying taxes. Jesus saying, I'm a son of God. You're a son of God because you believe. So the sons are, are free from paying taxes. But this goes so much deeper. Even this little sentence, Jesus isn't just saying the sons are free from paying taxes. No, he's saying the sons are free from a lot of things. And he's developing this new covenant type thinking. Remember, Peter, he often falls into legalism. We see him get called out on that in Galatians chapter 1 and 2. In Acts chapter 10 and 11, Jesus is trying to get this idea of the new covenant, the idea of grace across to Peter, where the sons are free. The sons aren't under the law. They're under grace. We're compelled by love, not legalism. God wants a cheerful giver, not someone who feels obligated to give to him. And there's all these different things that Jesus is trying to get across to Peter. It goes so much deeper, even in that statement, the sons are free. But important to note that it's Jesus who is the one that gives understanding. And he's able to give deeper understanding even in this sentence because he's the author of understanding. He's omniscient, meaning he has all knowledge. He literally rules and reigns over understanding. Point number two, Jesus reigns over understanding. Jesus reigns over understanding. Jesus didn't ask Peter the question, Um, what do you think, Simon? Because he didn't know the answer. 
He asked him the question because he's coming from a place of understanding and he's trying to bring Peter to that same place, to that same level of understanding. Jesus, he has all understanding. All understanding comes through him. Now, knowing that Jesus rules and reigns and is the author of understanding, Peter He has this conversation with Jesus and through this conversation, through communicating with Jesus, Peter does what he gains understanding. If Jesus is the author of understanding, then where am I going to get my understanding from? I got to go to Jesus and that's what Peter is doing. He's communicating with Jesus so that he might get on the same level as far as understanding as it pertains to this temple tax amongst other things. See, if we want to gain understanding, If we want to gain wisdom, then we have to go to the one who has all wisdom, who has all understanding. If we don't have wisdom, if we don't have understanding, the Bible tells us to ask for it. It's James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. James chapter 1. Picking it up in verse 5, specifically, uh, James was just talking about trials. And then he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave on the sea driven and tossed by the wind. James says, hey. You're going through something that you don't understand. You're going through something that you need some wisdom in. Ask God. Ask God for wisdom. But when you ask God for wisdom and you ask God for understanding, you have to ask from a place of faith. I must believe that there's understanding to be had for me to ask the Lord for understanding or for me to ask the Lord for wisdom. We have to believe that there's wisdom that he wants to impart to us. And you know what we see in scripture? When we ask the Lord for wisdom, when we ask the Lord for understanding, he is often so faithful to deliver. Look at Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, uh, Daniel had so many awesome revelations. uh, And literally, Daniel connects um, pretty specifically to the book of Revelation. Uh, But he was just told this profound prophecy, and a lot of it has to do with the Antichrist, um, the second coming. He talks about the tribulation. He talks about the Messiah. He gives them the day that the Messiah is going to walk on the scene. There's all these awesome things, and Daniel, he doesn't get it. He doesn't completely understand this revelation that was given to him. So, as a faithful man of God, he, he, he does this Daniel fast. You heard of the Daniel fast, right? He, 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 he's fasting, he's consuming uh, just vegetables, and he's going for 21 days. And I want to point out two verses for you. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 8, Therefore, I was left alone, and when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. So he's at the end of himself. He's seeking the Lord for understanding. He's fasting. He's done. He's spent. But look what happens in verse 12. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, 
For who, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. So Daniel has this encounter with this angel. Some say it's a Christophany, that it's Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, others say it's Gabriel. Um, I don't believe it's Christ, but that's another story. Anyways, this messenger from God was sent to Daniel to give him understanding. Look what he says. From the moment that you set your heart to understand, from the moment that you were seeking the Lord for understanding, he heard you. He heard you right off the bat, the minute, the moment you asked for it. But it took 21 days for the understanding to come. And we see later in that text, it's because of these princes of Persia, which are uh, really demons, uh, prevented this angel from getting down to Daniel. But we can pull a really practical thing from that when we ask the Lord for wisdom, when we ask the Lord for understanding. He hears us right away. He hears us. Sometimes it takes time for us to gain the understanding. Sometimes we have to go through a little more of the hardship to finally attain that understanding that he was trying to give to us. But he is faithful to deliver understanding, to deliver wisdom if we ask for it. And if we ask for it in faith, the Lord, he doesn't want us to confuse, want to confuse us. He's not the author of confusion. He wants to give us understanding for the things that we can understand. He has all understanding. And we got to seek him for understanding. Peter's having this dialogue to gain understanding. How often do you seek the Lord for wisdom and understanding? How often do you ask, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me understanding about this. That's something that we should be praying all the time. God, uh, I don't know how to walk through this. I think I might know how to walk through this. but, But I need wisdom. I need understanding. But it's one thing to pray that you might gain understanding, praying for yourself. It's another thing to pray for others that they might gain wisdom and understanding and what they're walking through. How often do you pray for other people to gain wisdom and understanding in their life? Look, it's Ephesians chapter 1. Paul does just that. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 He says, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So he's praying for the church of Ephesus. He's talking about this prayer. And this is the prayer part of it that the Lord, sorry, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Look what Paul's doing there. He's praying for the church of Ephesus that they might receive the spirit of wisdom, that they might receive understanding, that that their eyes would be enlightened to the truths of Scripture, to the truths of God and how it pertains to their life. We see Paul praying for others for understanding. It's something that we ought to do too, not just that we might receive understanding, but that those around us, those we know, those we love, those we don't even know, that we would pray that they would receive understanding understanding from the Lord. That's why so often in the beginning of service, I pray that prayer. Enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
Because it's not about what I, what I understand. It's about what the Lord understands. And he understands everything. And he's able to impart that understanding on some level to us. And that's what he's doing with Peter here. He's taking him to a deeper level of understanding. But it requires Peter to have this conversation with him. To talk to him. To be in communication with him. That's the same thing that applies to us. We're only going to gain this wisdom and understanding if we're talking to the Lord, communicating to him, going to the one that rules and reigns over understanding. In Matthew chapter 17, picking it up in verse 27, nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money Take that and give it to them for me and you. Now, let's really look at this. Think about what just happened. Jesus just gave Peter understanding as to what? That we don't have to pay the temple tax. The sons are free. You're a son of God. I'm a son of God. We're free from paying the temple tax. Nevertheless, contrary to what I just said, we're going to pay it anyways. Why? Jesus, he's paying the temple tax, not because he's obligated to. He's not only a rabbi and doesn't have to. He is the son of God. The temple was built for him and his father. But he's going to pay it anyways, not out of obligation, but out of love. He's trying to teach Peter and us the heart behind our obedience. He asked Peter to do something that Peter in the moment doesn't completely understand. But obedience can't be contingent upon our understanding. No, obedience must be rooted in love, not understanding, which is the third point. Obedience must be compelled by love, not understanding. Obedience must be compelled by love, not understanding. Jesus isn't asking Peter to do something that he understands. He's asking him to obey despite his understanding. When the Lord asks us to do things, our immediate response should be, yes, Lord, I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll do what you ask me to do, not because I have to, but because I want to, because I love you. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says just that, for the love of Christ compels us. The Lord wants us to be motivated by love, not motivated by legalism. He doesn't want us to have this mind, oh, I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to go to church and I have to pray. No, 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 that's not his heart. If you feel like you have to do something, you should pray for the Lord to, to change that heart and give you that agape love that compels you to want to do it, to desire to be a part of what he's doing in fellowship with him and the body of Christ. And that is what Jesus is teaching Peter, even though... We're not obligated to do this. We're going to obey for love's sake. And look at what he tells him to do specifically. Very interesting. <clears throat> Go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that opens up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will give a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Even though technically they don't have to pay the temple tax, they're going to pay it anyways. And who's paying for Peter? Jesus is paying for Peter. Peter didn't put that money in that fish's mouth. I rest assured. It was Jesus that had that money put in his mouth. See, Jesus is giving us a picture of the gospel. 
He didn't have to pay the price. He didn't owe the temple tax. He didn't owe the death that he endured for us. He did it out of what? Not obligation. He did it out of love. He did it because he loves us and he paid the price for us. He's paying the price for Peter, not because he has to, but because he wants to. For love for him and love for those men that were asking about the temple tax. See, Jesus teaches us so much in just this one verse. He literally established his authority, right? Hey, the sons of the kingdom, they don't pay the temple tax. The sons are free. Peter, just two chapters ago, uh, one chapter ago, 16, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter knows who he is. Peter knows that he is the son of the living God. So if the sons of the kingdom don't have to pay the temple tax, the son of the kingdom certainly doesn't have to. But in the same moment, as he establishes his authority, he he lays down his authority. Yes, this is who I am, and this is what I don't have to do, but for love's sake, I'm going to lay it down. He's trying to teach Peter to have his same mind, to have the mind of Christ, which is discussed in Philippians chapter 2, a couple other places. But if you look at Philippians chapter 2, it says this, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, hey, the mind that Christ had, we ought to have as well. And he describes this, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He's saying, Jesus is God, okay? But, verse 7, made himself of no reputation, coming in the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Though Jesus was God. He was ruling and reigning in all his glory. That's his identity. That's who he is. He put that aside. He put that position aside. He was always God, but he put that position in heaven aside so that he could come down and be what? A man. And not just any man, a poor man, a bond servant, so that we might receive eternal life. He's trying to teach Peter what it means to be a humble leader. See, remember in Matthew chapter 16, we see that Peter has this great call for the church. He's not uh, the rock, he's a rock, and we discussed that. He's not the Pope, but there was a measure of authority that Jesus gave Peter. Peter would be the one that opened the gospel to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, and then uh, then, uh, to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 and 11. So there was a special place that Jesus had with Peter, but for him to become the man that he's called him to be, he has to teach him what it means to be a leader, and he's doing it leading by example. He's teaching him about sacrificial love. Even though we don't have to do these things, we still ought to do these things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul discusses the same topic as far as eating food. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. What is he saying? I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Okay? Verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Do things for others, not just for your own self-seeking hearts. And he describes an example in verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the marketplace, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe 
invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. Let's give a little context here. So what was happening uh, was these animals would be sacrificed to foreign gods, to false gods. And then they would sell the meat in the marketplaces. And you didn't know what kind of meat you're buying. You didn't know if it was kosher or if it was sacrificed to an idol. And Paul's saying, don't worry about that. Don't get into that stuff. The Lord knows your heart. Okay, he's not going to condemn you if you eat meat sacrificed to an idol. He says the, the, the law of love is, is greater than any of that. And the law of love says eat whatever's set before you. Meaning don't cause someone to stumble. Don't offend someone because of your preferences. Okay, it's like this. I've told you this story before, um, but I'm going to tell you again in case you forgot. Uh, in Liberia, when, you remember when I went to Liberia, uh, we went into the jungle. It was like a four-hour trek. We hiked for a long time, and finally, we get to the city, and they're ecstatic to see us. Some of those kids never saw a white person in their life, and they're so happy to see us, and they got a nice hot meal waiting for us, the best of what they had. And you know what it was? Rat soup. Not kidding you. It was a big old rat that they cut up, and made soup out of it. They saved the rat for us because meat, you didn't come by meat very often, especially in the jungle. But they found a rat and they put it before us, literally ribs, hair sticking out. This is what we got for you. This is the best that we had. What do you do in that situation? It's like, dude, really, of all things, a rat. Come on. But love says, do it anyways. Eat whatever is set before you don't cause them to stumble. The law of love is greater than any other law. And for us to not cause them to be offended, we had to eat that rat and act like, act like we enjoyed it. But that's the principle. That's the idea that Jesus is getting across. It's not about entitlement and your preferences. It's about self-sacrificial love. And that's what Jesus is teaching Peter. Even though we don't have to do this, we're going to do this for love's sake, lest we cause someone to stumble. He's also teaching him about relatability. See, obviously these tax collectors believe that what was said in Exodus chapter 30 still pertains today. So if that's what they believe, if we say, well, hey, we're under grace and we don't believe what you believe. And if, dude, I'm a son of the kingdom, I can do whatever I want. That's going to cause them to stumble. That's going to cause them to be angry. That's going to cause them to have a lot of problems. Jesus is teaching him how to be relatable. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, be all things to all men so that some might be saved. He says, I was a, a Jew to the Jews. I was a Greek to the Greeks. I met people where they were at. And I wouldn't do things in front of Jews to cause them to stumble. And I wouldn't do things in front of Greeks that would cause them to stumble. I did whatever I had to do to get the message of the gospel across, which is ultimately the message of love and grace. Jesus, he's teaching him so many different things. He's also teaching him about entitlement and humility. Remember, Jesus, though he is the son of God, doesn't have to pay the temple tax, but he does it anyways. Now he's going to ask Peter to do something to lay down his identity and other words. Look at what he says. I'm going to reread it. What he tells him to do, go to the sea, cast in a hook and make the fish Take the fish that comes up first. Now, think about this. They're where? In Capernaum, 
We already discussed the, that, that many passages in the Gospels uh, would lead us to believe that uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, their fishing business was set up in Capernaum. They're fishing on the Sea of Galilee. It was a hot spot for this. Now, imagine this. Imagine Peter walking out to the Sea of Galilee with a hook. Now, when you look at historical records about Peter and what said, he was a pretty large man. He was a pretty big, strong man. Why? Because he was a fisherman. And they used cast nets and they used drag nets. And you ever seen someone that, that's a fisherman for a living, specifically those that, that use drag nets and cast nets? They're constantly pulling all this weight with fish and whatever else is on the bottom. And they're jacked. They're big. If you ever look at like watch a, a Nat Geo or Discovery Channel about how they fish in certain places in Africa and other areas of the world, you look at those fishermen and they're like, dude, they could make it in the NFL for sure. They got backs like this. They're strong, burly dudes. Peter is somewhat described as that type of guy. Now, we don't know for sure if people were around, but Capernaum was a pretty populated city. The Sea of Galilee, there were people around it all the time. There likely was people around. And Jesus tells Peter, I want you to take this little hook, big burly fisherman that's used to fishing with big nets, and you catch all these fish. I want you to take this little hook, and I want you to catch just this one little fish. Now, my brother, to help us understand this a little bit, this is what I imagine, okay? (laughs) My brother, um, he has his captain's license. He drives those big, like, 150-foot yachts. He's back in school, but he does that like on the side. Um, but he also has worked on charter boats, charter fishing boats, like people that pay a bunch of money to go out and catch a bunch of fish. Now, the boat that he worked on in 2012, um, they had caught the largest fish in the world that year, a 1,289-pound blue marlin. That's a huge fish. They have the bill on the boat. It's so cool. Uh, I, I got to see pictures of it. So my brother, he's used to catching these big bill fish. He's used to catching like these big bull dolphin. And he would literally take people fishing for a living to help people catch big game. Now imagine my brother and all those big fish that he caught. Jesus asks him, hey, I want you to go on the dock where all your fishing buddies are. And I want you to take not even a reel. I just want to take a little line and a hook. And you're going to catch a little mullet. Okay? You're going to just bring that little mullet in. You're going to take whatever is out of his mouth. The point is, is that Jesus, no Peter, struggles with pride and identity. He's asking him to lay it down, to humble himself, and do what he's asking him to do. Just as Jesus laid down that position of glory to come as a man, as a bondservant, he's saying to Peter, hey, lay down your identity as this big fisherman and go and do what I'm asking you to do. And we see as he asks him to do this thing, this profound thing happens. There's actually this coin in his mouth. Peter, he had to walk by faith here. Imagine that. So I was like, hey, um, go, yeah, go out to Green Valley Lake and, well, you'd probably catch a fish there. But th- imagine if you caught a fish there and there's a little coin in its mouth. It's like, that would have been mind-boggling. If you told me to do that, I wouldn't believe that it actually was going to happen. I'm sure Peter has some doubt. He's struggling a little bit, but even though he doesn't completely understand. Coin in the fish's mouth, has anyone ever seen that before? No, okay? Even though he doesn't completely understand, he still chooses to obey by faith. And that's the Lord's heart in this, that we would be obedient to him. 
That we would walk by faith even when we don't understand. See, Jesus, he took so many lessons, so many character qualities that he portrayed and tried to instill in Peter so that he might become the leader that he's called him to be. He gave him understanding of the situation. We're going to lay down entitlement. We're going to lay down pride. We're going to operate in humility. We're going to operate in love. But it wasn't enough for him to just say it. He could have ended that and said, the sons are free. And what? Paid the temple tax out of his pocket? We know Judas had all that money that he was holding. Like they could have paid it that way. They had money for their ministry, but he asks them to do something specific. Why? Because he wants to challenge him in what he just taught him. It's not enough for him just to understand. He's trying to get him to apply what he just learned. Even though we're free, we're still going to operate in love. Even though we're not obligated to do these things, we're still going to do it for love's sake. So often, that's how the Lord works with us. He'll teach us things. He'll get a message across to us. Maybe it's in a message, or maybe it's in your devotions. Maybe it's an encounter that you have with a believer, and he'll try to get this message across to us in hopes that we might understand. But then he'll often put something in our path, something in our way in the form of maybe a challenge like Peter so that we might apply what he's teaching us. He's not just trying to bring us to a place of understanding. He's trying to bring us to a place that we're producing fruit. What's the Lord teaching you? What has he been teaching you? Maybe it's here again. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's with your wife or your children or whatever it is. Are you making the connection between what he's teaching you and what he's challenging you with? Because so often those things are so parallel. And sometimes we walk through a challenge. We walk through a difficult time. The Lord asks us to do something and it's like, overhead, I don't know why he asked me to do that. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. But there's a purpose for it. There's a reason in it. And I can even think today in this passage, this is what this is all about. I wasn't prepared to do a message today. I had another guy come in to do the message. I had 30 minutes to prepare the message. All of the glory of God. But it was obedience by faith. I didn't understand God. Why didn't the Jews for Jesus guy be able to come up? I don't get that. Why didn't you let him come up? It would have been a great thing. It's like, yeah, just trying to teach you something. Humility. Obey by faith. Even though you don't understand, just walk in it. And I'm sure there's going to be more that comes from it. But the Lord so often does that. He wants to teach us. He wants to train us so that we might walk in the things that he is teaching and training us. If the Lord is teaching you something, if he's trying to get a message across to you, open your eyes and look and see if there might be something in your life that's, con that's directly connecting to what he's been communicating to you. Because there's a good chance that there is, and he wants us to be overcomers. He doesn't put those obstacles in our way for us to fail, just as we discussed last week. No, no, no. He wants us to walk by faith and overcome the things that he puts in our life. He wants us to overcome those challenges because in that we become more like him. Our character develops, we're molded, we're shaped by the Lord's challenges, just like, just like Peter was. In this text, he humbled himself. He chose to be obedient. He chose to walk by faith, even though he didn't completely understand. Let's pray. Lord, 
thank you. God, that you teach us, that you try to get things across to us, Lord, and we're not always the best listeners, but I pray that we would be. And, and as we hear you, God, we would, we would look to how it's applying to our lives, that we would look at, at the, the, the obstacles in front of us and, and recognize that they're obstacles for our good, that you're challenging us to, to walk in the things that you've taught us. Lord, we know that's what you desire. You desire that your people would bear much fruit. God, so I pray that we would. I pray that we would make the connections, that we would bear fruit and you would be glorified, that we would choose to walk in obedience, not because we have to, but because we want to and because you love us and we love you. Lord, give us those hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.